Good morning, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in to watch us today. It's been such a crazy week, and certainly ask you to continue to pray for our church, for our leaders, for our nation. Our passage this morning is going to be out of the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. It's the follow-up to the passage we were in last week in the book of Philippians, so I invite you to turn there in your Bible. But as we begin this morning, I'd like to open us up in a word of prayer. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth. From the rising of the sun to its setting, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes, he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him is a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me his faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifices. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. You are good, and your ways are good. We continue to pray, Lord, for our world as we combat this virus. Lord, I pray for our nation, for our leaders, for our president, and the decisions that they continue to have to make, as well as I pray for our states and our governors, for Governor Pritzker. Lord, these are unprecedented times in modern American history. Lord, I pray for our local leaders. Pray for wisdom for them and the decisions that they're making for our community. Lord, I continue to pray for our church in this time as we have to be apart. Lord, I pray for your blessing on each of us. Lord, I pray for all churches today who have had to make this decision to, to reach out to people remotely. Lord, I continue to pray that you would use this time as a time of revival in our nation to bring more and more people to you through the difficulties and challenges that we're facing in this season. Lord, I also want to pray for people who are in nursing homes, people who are unable to receive visitors of family and friends. Lord, I'm sure that's very difficult in this time. Lord, I pray for us all with the anxiety and stress and, and unknowns that we're facing, Lord. I just pray that we would trust in you, Lord, and I pray that as we study your word this morning, that it can point us to you and bring us comfort. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned a moment ago, we'll be looking at the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Our passage this week deals with the subject of contentment. To be content is defined as being in a state of peaceful happiness. Contentment is closely related to joy. And it's something that our society seems to so often have such a deficiency of. In our passage this morning, Paul is winding down the letter of the, to the Philippian church. Last week, we looked at some of Paul's closing exhortations that he was giving to the church at Philippi. This week, we look at Paul acknowledging the generosity to his ministry from the Philippians, but also using that as an opportunity to point us to Christ and that Jesus must be the ultimate source of our joy, contentment, 
and dependence. The world is discontent, but our contentment should be found in Christ. And this morning we're going to be building up to verse 13. That's where we'll spend the most of our time today. But to get there, I think it's important to understand where we are in this passage. So going back to the beginning, verse 10, we see a personal note from Paul to this church. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So Paul begins this section by showing his gratitude to the church at Philippi. As we've said, they had supported his ministry. Always interesting to see the wording that the Bible uses. We see here that Paul is thankful for the Philippians, but we also see in this passage that he doesn't glorify them. Instead, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Paul doesn't glorify people. The Philippians have given Paul support. They've supported his ministry. And Paul is rejoicing. He is thankful. As I talked about last week, joy is really the main theme of the book of Philippians. And we see here that Paul is taking joy in the Lord for the ways in which he's been provided for. Paul mentions here that the Philippians revived concern for him. What does that mean? Their revived concern. The point of that is not so much that they used to be concerned for Paul and then weren't and then were again. It's not Paul giving any sort of backhanded criticism or um, underhanded way of insulting the Philippians. Because really, I think the rest of verse 10 explains what he means when he says, You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So the Philippians had never stopped caring for Paul. They had simply had their own hardships. They had given support to Paul when they were able to. Verse 11 says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. It's fascinating here that Paul says that he has learned in whatever situation he faces to be content. It can be easy in the difficulties of our lives to get frustrated. It can be easy to want to pull back from God. We must learn to be content. We must practice being content. Contentedness is a skill. It's something that we do. Paul says that he has learned in every situation to be content. In times of loss, in times where we have health struggles. Right now in our nation, we're facing a time of tremendous uncertainty. Some of us are facing times of financial strain. And Paul says that he's learned to be content in all situations. That's not natural. The natural thing to do is to worry and be stressed. The normal inclination would be to grumble and be unhappy. But the content person is content because they have something else. Because they have someone else. Because our hardships, even in them, we still have God. It's interesting. As we're on the verge of springtime. And I think about how easily weeds grow. 
You don't need to do anything to help weeds grow. Discontentment, worry, stress are things that naturally happen without any real effort of our own. Nobody tries to be stressed. But I think about trying to grow flowers, and that takes work. You have to water them. You have to cultivate them. It takes effort to make those flowers blossom and thrive. In verse 12, Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. How to be brought low, and he knows how to abound. Because ultimately, it's not about what he has. It's not about his circumstances. For Paul here, again, he's thanking the Philippians for their financial support that they've given him. But the principle is true for any circumstance in which we're lacking or have a need. Paul says that he's learned the secret. And in verse 13, we find out what that secret is. Philippians 4.13. According to Bible Gateway, Philippians 4.13 is the second most popular verse in the New Testament, right behind John 3.16. It's a verse memorized and beloved by many. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But for as popular as this verse is, it's also one of the most commonly misunderstood and misquoted verses. One of the most commonly taken out of context verses. Because the context of the passage must always influence how we interpret it. And what's the context? Paul has just said that he knows the secret. The secret of how to be content in both good and bad circumstances. And it is in the light of what Paul has said and has experienced that he then glides the glorious words that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I did some searches online for quotations of this verse. On Instagram, people quote this verse more than 93,000 times. But the most common references I saw to quoting Philippians 4.13 were in regards to personal goals, to things like a fitness goal. I've seen people quote Philippians 4.13 after winning some sort of pageant. I've seen people quote it after graduating from college. Some people, to me, surprisingly, use it in reference to their diet. To quote from one Instagram post, pre-workout meal coming up, healthy creamy chicken with mushroom and sun-dried tomatoes plus brown rice. Philippians 4.13. I think that this verse often gets quoted in conversation with our personal goals. This is what I want to do, and it's me and Jesus. I'm going to win that pageant. I'm going to run that marathon. I'm going to get that promotion, because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And certainly, Jesus is the God of everything in our lives. It's good to look at everything we do through the lens of walking with Christ. But Philippians 4.13 has nothing to do with accomplishing our personal goals. Philippians 4.13 is not a verse that's about us. It's about Jesus. The verse is not about the power of positive thinking, that you can accomplish whatever you want to accomplish with Jesus. It's not saying you can over, overcome any hurdle because of Jesus. It's not telling that you that you can do anything that you set your mind to because of Jesus. Those things might also be true, but they're not what this verse is saying. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This verse is not so much saying that you can accomplish your dreams. It's saying that you can survive your nightmares. And I know that is not a popular idea. That's not a popular idea to put on a keychain or a coffee mug or a t-shirt or a poster. My point isn't to ruin a verse that you love. But my point is to point you to the glorious Lord Jesus. Because our life is more than our personal goals. It's that when we've been run over, conquered, defeated, it feels like everything is going against us, that we can be content walking in joy because of knowing Jesus. And that's something else I noticed when I looked at how people were quoting Philippians Philippians 4.13. It's almost always when good things are happening in our lives that we want to quote that verse. I don't see a lot of people saying, I can do all things through him who strengthens me when they've lost a job, when they can't afford to pay a bill, when they're in a a health crisis. But when you think about this passage in the context of, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Philippians 4.13 is just as much about the bad times as it is about the good times. Because our contentment and joy and satisfaction need to always be found in Christ. This verse isn't just calling us to be cheerleaders for God after we've gotten to the top of the mountain. But to always be praising the glorious God who invites us into life when we're at the bottom of the valley. But how do we do it embracing the reality of that? The secret to contentment in good times and bad is knowing that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The secret to contentment is in Christ and no place else. That when things really do get tough, when there is total upheaval and uncertainty, and you're still able to confidently walk in faith, knowing that you can do all things through him who strengthens you. The greatest need that we have is for God and for knowing God. In America, things are so often so comfortable for us. You have people where it's so tempting to live life thinking that you don't need God, that they're just fine on their own. But what about when we've lost everything? What about when we're at our lowest? What about when we're going through the worst experiences of our lives? In those moments, do you turn your back on God? Do you get mad at God? Do you question God? Why did you allow this to happen to me? Or do you walk with God? Do you rely on God more and more? Do you trust in him more deeply in those moments? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Are you still able to say that when the going gets tough? We're in a tough time right now. It's my hope and prayer that this will be short-lived. It's chaos. It's turmoil. Businesses are uprooted. People are losing their jobs. It's devastating. 
In two weeks, it's like we live in a different world. I think of people struggling to get by, not knowing how they're going to handle their expenses. There's this stress and anxiety of wondering when things will return to normalcy. I think of the, the plans people have that are ruined. I think about people who have weddings that were planned for this weekend or next weekend. I think about the couple who was planning to celebrate their 50th anniversary with loved ones and now can't. I think of a person who's in terrible pain, who's had to have a surgery postponed, which was scheduled for this week. Or a person who has chronic health problems, who's finally going to be able to meet with that specialist, only to have that too rescheduled. I think of all the fear and stress and worry and uncertainty, and I'm reminded of Paul's words. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That when you're the one who's lost something, when you're the one who's suffering, when things are so difficult, but for the person who can still walk in faith. Sadly, there will be people who lose so much over these next few weeks that they'll look back to this time as the time where they lost their faith. That they experienced these things and saw the destruction and suffering and reasoned that a good God could not allow this. But I also know that there will be people who, as tough as things get, through the struggles and challenges, will know that this virus showed them that when everything else was gone, when everything else was under threat, when everything else was uncertain, for the first time in their lives, they truly realized that they had God. And that if you have God, you have everything. The harsh reality of the truth of this verse, that in the times of abundance and need, that we can still have fulfillment in Christ. Is something that we so often learn from life experience. Because it doesn't make sense otherwise. It doesn't make sense that you can do all things through Christ. It doesn't make sense that you can have contentment in difficulties. None of that makes sense. Except for the fact that we have a good God. As we quoted last week, Paul says that God gives peace that surpasses all understanding. In Proverbs 3, 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Walking in faith. Trusting the Lord. The fuel that the human soul was meant to run on is the God of this universe. Certainly, this passage is not saying that we should like suffering, that we should like struggling. We can know that it's difficult. We are not called to stoicism. Perhaps you've heard about people who are stoic, people who are very calm and reserved in difficulties and stressful situations. Stoicism was an ancient Greek philosophy that was based on moderation and self-control. And it places a major emphasis not on our circumstances, but on how we respond to our circumstances. Paul isn't saying that we should just white-knuckle it through adversity and pretend that difficult things are not difficult. But rather that in adversity, we should look to Christ. That our contentment is not based on some internal quality within ourselves. 
that it comes from knowing the God of all creation. And certainly, we can pray for and desire for things to change when we're struggling. We should constantly be turning to God. But one of the things that's important is that the secret to contentment in all situations is not the situation. It's not our circumstances. And we fall into the trap of thinking that a different circumstance is what will make us content, then that is idolatry. And we're not looking to Christ for the source of our contentment. I think that's important. If we think that our circumstances and changes in our circumstances are the thing that will always make us content, if it's not Christ, then we are making our circumstances our God. Our true contentment has to be found only in Christ. The world is discontent. And the world is discontent with what's going on in the world. But Christians should be content in Christ. A passage like this one might be easy for us to focus on from the standpoint of suffering and adversity. And it's certainly applicable to that situation. But notice that Paul said in verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. To have need and to have much. And in America, I think we're so often in that second situation. It's interesting that in Paul's day, life was, life was extremely difficult for most people. Just in terms of having the basic things that you needed, food, clean water, shelter, life was hard. And that's how it's been for most of human history. And that's still how it is for people in many parts of the world. Now I realize when we compare ourselves to someone like Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, it, it might seem like we don't have a whole lot. But we have food and water and shelter. We have the basic needs. We have access to medical care. We have what we need to get by. We have fun toys like cell phones and the internet. We have access to information. We have the ability to pursue hobbies and interests. There's a lot of cool stuff that we have. I'm certainly not saying that every day is just a, a vacation, just kicking back, totally easy. That's not true. But we have a lot of blessings as Americans. We have, most, we have luxuries that most humans who have ever lived could not have dreamed of. And with as easy as it can be to lose sight of God when the going gets tough, it might be even harder to truly have a focus on him when the going is easy, when life is normal when it's smooth sailing. I think about my prayers and the prayers I typically hear from people and the prayer requests that people typically offer up. It's usually oftentimes for crisis situations, for someone who has a need, for someone who is struggling with their health. And certainly those things are warranted to pray for. But it can be so easy to overlooking to overlook rejoicing in God in the times of plenty. I'm not saying that's true for everyone. 
but it's a trap that can be easy to fall into. Or when things are good, to think that we deserve them. It's so tempting when things are tough to question why that would happen to us. But when things are good, to think that it's because we deserve it to be good. Or because we made it. We made good things happen. The verse says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In good times and in bad times. Where is our focus supposed to be when times are good? Where is our joy supposed to be when things are good? Where is our source of contentment supposed to be? In Christ. And where are we supposed to be focused when things are difficult? And where is our joy supposed to be when things are stressful? Also in Christ. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, again, I continue to pray for this time, for this season that we are in, Lord. These are historic times, times we will look back upon for generations. Lord, I pray for your nearness. And Lord, with all of the changes and turmoil, I pray that even more and more we can turn to you and trust in you and know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.